Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Chinese Premier Li Qiang has called on G20 members to prioritize development and cooperation. North Korea suspends a 2018 deal with South Korea designed to de-escalate tension along their shared border. French Minister for Europe and Foreign Affairs Catherine Colonna visits China. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese Premier Li Qiang has called on G20 members to prioritize development and cooperation. He attended the virtual G20 leaders' summit via video and stressed multilateralism and the concerns of developing countries. The premier pledged that China will continue to work with all parties in open and inclusive manner to make greater contribution to world economic recovery and global prosperity. He also said more practical measures should be taken to implement the consensus reached at the 18th G20 summit in New Delhi. Now, for more on this, we're joined by Aina Tangen. He is senior fellow at Taihe Institute. Thank you, Aina. It's good to have you back on the show again. Always a pleasure. Now, Aina, how do how do you see the occasion of this virtual summit among G20 leaders? Well, I mean, I, I, in preparing for this, I kind of look back at 2020, and I noticed that basically, other than the vaccine issue uh, and COVID,、uh, basically everything is the same.、Uh, you still have this、uh, issue about digital economy,、mm. um, you know, economics, etc., etc.、Um, but I, I thought it was very interesting that he specifically tried to create continuity by saying, you know, it's time to put some solid、uh, efforts into the Uh, meeting hosted by India.、Mm. Um, you know, he didn't have to say that. He could have just said it's time to make progress. I think this is、uh, really trying to reach out to India and give、uh, them some face、mm. uh, in terms of it. I don't know that there was a lot accomplished、uh, at the during India's uh, G20 uh, period. We'll have to see,、mm. um, but definitely trying. Mm, right then,、um, Premier Li Qiang gave a whole speech、uh, at the summit. Overall, how do you see China's message at the summit? Well, just very, very consistent.、Um, uh, you know, talks about practical measures should be taken to implement the consensus necessary to coordinate and cooperate more closely, revise, revitalize multilateralism, continue、mm. policy cooperation, etc. These are all things that、uh, are needed. He specifically、uh, mentioned the World Trade Organization、mm. and the International Monetary Fund. As、um, organizations that need to be reformed, and, and this is not just China saying this. All the parties, including the U.S., doesn't matter. They all say it should be reformed. Of course, the question is how.、Indeed. The U.S. wants to make it more under its control. It has refused to allow appellate judges to be appointed since Obama's administration,、mm-hmm. simply because they they say that the, only American judges should be able to sit and judge、um, American issues. Despite the fact that they were winning 80 to 90 percent of、uh, the cases that were brought before the、uh, before the WTO.、Mm. Now, Ina, how do you think、um, Premier Li Qiang's、uh, message of prioritizing development and cooperation is received at the summit? Because we know that G20 is a, a very much diverse,、uh, diversified group. Well, you know, and,、mm. and this is what's interesting: is you're starting to see fault lines in the global order,、uh, the global South. Has had a very very different reaction、mm. uh, to these、uh, last two couple of uh, uh, conflicts,、uh, both Ukraine and also、uh, in terms of Gaza,、mm-hmm. um, and also、uh, you see a fault line that's developing uh, with uh, the Muslim and Arab community, especially over Gaza.、Uh, they have a different perspective than,、uh, let's say,、uh, America and Europe and, and the more developed、uh, countries, and that is becoming more and more pronounced. So when you say how is it received,、mm. basically it's well received by uh, countries um, in the global south, not as well received、uh, by developed nations.、Mm. Well, then talking about these developed、uh, developed economies, um, uh, G20 uh, includes quite a number, quite a few of them. I mean, what do you think their agenda is at the summit? 
Well, right now, I mean, all of them are, are kind of in this situation where they're uh, trying to uh, deal with domestic uh, changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had a lot of, of different uh, things. I mean, they, they're looking at the, uh, the, 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 you know, <laughs> uh, the civil unrest uh, mm-hmm. in other parts of the world, the fact that the economy in Europe is not going very well. Um, you know, and, and you, you're seeing the rise of right-wing parties who are basically saying we, we don't agree with this whole thing about, uh, um, you know, uh, putting more money into Russia, I mean, into Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, they just, there is a real concern, but it's, it's primarily, unfortunately, uh, too much every man for himself in the developed world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have problems the way it is. Um, you know, this issue about the $100 billion a year that was supposed to be made available for climate change to the developing nations still hasn't appeared, still hasn't been addressed. Um, and, you know, and th- these are the things where the G20 is supposed to be providing the leadership. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, responsibility shifted from the G7 to the G20. And, and the idea was that they would be able to take care of things. But uh, right, so far right now, they haven't really come to grasp. And that's why she is asking for more concrete steps instead of just, you know, trying to avoid the problems because they, you know, mm. they don't feel they have the funds to fund them. Right. I know uh, China um, participates in quite a number of uh, multinational, multilateral mechanisms, and G20 is just one of them. So what do you think China's appeal is within the G20 mechanism, and what does China want from its uh, active participation in the grouping? Well, I mean, China's is simple. I mean, they, they're pushing this idea that they'd like to have uh, some uh, some um, uh, more trade, more peace. Mm. Uh, for China, you know, China has to bring in a tremendous amount of, of resources in to China. Uh, and then uh, they depend on being able to add value and export those. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's... Um, you know, peace and development is much better for the uh, for the uh, uh, for them mm. uh, for China. Um, it doesn't always necessarily work out that way for others, but um, yeah, I mean, China, China's agenda is, is pretty simple. Uh, let's let's put away the conflict. Uh, let's figure out how to solve so many of the health, uh, environmental. Mm and economic issues that face the world. Right. Uh, earlier, we already mentioned a little bit about India's uh, presidency of this year's uh, G20. I mean, how do you view that in general? Um, I mean, has the country fulfilled its mission? I, you know, I, I, I have to say, from a personal point of view, I mean, mm. uh, Wang Yi went at great lengths to uh, give face. Um, but when you look at it, uh, it, it, you know, the G20, and it's not necessarily in this fault, didn't come to grips with a lot of the issues. I, I think last year uh, in Indonesia, it was a, a lot better, mm-hmm. uh, but circumstances have changed. Um, there is some questions and eyebrows being raised because India got some things that they wanted. The U.S. dismissed some cases at the WTO. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were able to get a, mis- uh, a jet engine factory. Uh, done mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a, a joint venture done, uh, and that was very, very, very important. Mm. Well, India's G20 presidency is going to end on November the 30th, and the baton is going to be passed to Brazil for 2024. How do you think Brazil will handle this presidency, and will what will be the main issues Brazil will pursue? Well, it, it'll be much more on a global south uh, mm. agenda. Uh, they'll be talking about climate change. Where's the money that was supposed to, you know, come forward? Uh, how do you deal with conflict? Uh, Lula has, uh, you know, been very outspoken about uh, humanitarian issues in the environment, and I think he's going to uh, place that uh, front and center. Um, I mean, there are a lot of issues within South America right now, especially with the new election uh, in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 a time of great turmoil because a lot of issues have not been addressed. Uh, economic disparity, um, you know, how to get the, uh, the uh, world economy back on track, how to uh, figure out some sort of relationship between the U.S. and China that starts instilling confidence in the rest of the world and, you know, uh, allowing it to feel that they can go forward. Because right now, I know, it, it, too, there's too many guessing names. You know, there's been a, a bit of a thaw, mm. uh, but people are still concerned about what does the future hold. And, and I think uh, Lula... Lula will be looking to uh, 
uh, get commitments from countries、mm. uh, that there is a path forward. Right. Thank you. That was Ian Tangen. He is a senior fellow at Taihe Institute. Coming up, North Korea suspends 2018 military accord with South Korea. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us. A pizzeria in a small village in rural China. You heard it, and it serves pizza with stinky Mandarin fish. Something even some Chinese cannot take. Why would its American owner Adrian Brill launch the business in the village? How has it become a Moscow restaurant attracting gluttons flying thousands of miles just for a bite? And after being appointed as a rural ambassador, what's his plan for promoting local development? Check out Adrian's unique experience of integrating his personal interests into China's rural revitalization in the last episode of our special series, "My Expat Life in Rural China," on this week's Chat Lounge. Anywhere you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio. Welcome back to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. North Korea says it is suspending a 2018 deal with South Korea designed to de-escalate tension along their shared border. The decision comes a day after South Korea suspended part of the inter-Korean deal in response to Pyongyang's launch of a reconnaissance satellite. Jack Barton reports from Seoul. South Korean officials responded to the launch by saying the country will resume reconnaissance and surveillance activities around the demilitarized zone. That announcement followed a pledge by the South Korean government that if Pyongyang went ahead with the launch, it would move towards suspending parts of a 2018 inter-Korean military agreement. South Korea says the agreement now puts it at a serious disadvantage in light of the rapid growth of the DPRK's nuclear. And missile programs, as well as alleged multiple breaches of the agreement by Pyongyang. That was Jack Barton with the report. Now, for more on this issue, I earlier had a conversation with Rong Ying. He is vice president and senior research fellow at the China Institute of International Studies. North Korea successfully launched a reconnaissance satellite, as reported by the Korean Central News Agency. So, how significant is、uh, this development? Well, I think the、uh, the news and that、uh, North Korea once again and this time successfully launched its uh, uh, satellite or reconnaissance military reconnaissance satellite、mm. is certainly a major development. In terms of North Korea's pursuit to、uh, build up its capabilities, and also I think in terms of the inter-Korea、uh, relations, and also of course the re-、uh, which has certainly implications,、uh, impacts、uh, for the region as a whole. But remember, I think the decision to test to to launch.、Um, Satellite, or what I mean, what North Korea would call call or military、uh, reconnaissance satellite, has been the plan has been there for quite a long time.、Mm. If we remember back in May and April, they tried but failed. So in a in a sense, I think this test,、uh, this、uh, sort of、uh, developed move, is、uh, just a continuation or continued effort by North Korea. To pursue to、mm. build up its capabilities as planned, and furthermore, I think North Korea, to be reported by the Japanese media, that has informed uh, the uh, to tell the、uh, Japanese relevant department about this plan.、Mm. So, in other words, from the viewpoint of North Korea, it's、uh, open.、Mm. It is、uh, a planned、um, move, nothing to be to make fuss about. So the、uh, Dr. Rongying, the 2018、um, Panmunjom Declaration for Peace, Prosperity, and Reunification of the Korean Peninsula was signed after the historic meeting between Kim Jong Un and then South Korean President Moon Jae-in. So, could you please give us more background of this deal? The deal, the declaration,、uh, mm-hmm. the Panmunjom Declaration, as、uh, we know, I mean,、uh, is very much important because it's the, I think, the most important sort of、uh, document, most important agreement,、uh, outcome agreement 
for that period, starting from 2017 up to, I think, 2019, the so-called summit diplomacy, first between the two Koreans, inter-Korean ones, and also, I think, with the uh, United States and North Korea. And that was, of course, the uh, period where the relevant parties are talking to each other, mm-hmm. are working to each, uh, together to ensure that peace and stability would uh, be uh, achieved by, I mean, uh, working out their differences. Then the most important thing for this agreement or this declaration is, I think, the two sides, the two Koreans committed to pursue a kind of uh, complete denuclearization Mm. and transition from uh, Amatis regime to a peace, permanent peace regime. So this is, I think, has been, been regarded as the most important uh, declaration, most important uh, sort of uh, agreement underpinning the uh, achievements that have been achieved. I've some now five years back, mm. I think people are very much missed that uh, period, missed that declaration. And it's really unfortunate that now this declaration has almost has been gone because of the announcement of suspension, partial mm-hmm. suspension by South Korea, and the complete sort of wrap, I mean, right off the military part of the island North Korea as a counter sort of measures to South Korea. So, Dr. Rongying, uh, what does both sides suspending, you know, parts or, you know, a bigger part of the deal mean for the security situation on the Korean peninsula? Yeah, that's a very serious develop, a grave mm-hmm. develop, because as we all know that tension has been rising very high. And uh, this is, of course, large primarily because of the change of the policies, uh, change of the government for, of, the, of South Korea, mm-hmm. and also, I think, the com- repeated sort of a move in the military security field between uh, South Korea, United States, and to some extent, Japan. Mm-hmm. And this is very much, I mean, unfortunate. And it certainly it has uh, raised the tension and could easily lead to more escalation and more te- tension that would uh, affect the overall peace and the stability dynamic uh, on the peninsula and also the region as a whole if we take it into a development in other fronts. Mm. Could you please elaborate more on you know, how the change in the policy of the South Korean government as well as in the Japanese government have contributed to the, this current round of tensions? I think the change of the government uh, in uh, uh, South Korea, we, where I think President Young, mm. uh, I mean, uh, the coming of power, has caused a kind of a change mm. to it. I mean, not only thinking, but it's a policy towards inter-Korean uh, relations. And also, I think, the uh, sort of uh, approach to pursue peace and, uh, I mean, pursue the, uh, the uh, Korean uh, uh, questions. Uh, and and it, it, as we have seen, again, I think it has, uh, it's a uh, uh, military uh, 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 and security uh, relations uh, with uh, uh, United States mm. has been strengthened. Mm-hmm. Its uh, uh, relations with Japan and mm-hmm. has also been strengthened, even in on the field of security field mm-hmm. and the security uh, relations between cooperation between uh, United States, Japan, and South Korea has also been strengthened. We have seen the, the so-called David, uh, the, the the Camp David uh, deals and others, and uh, this is uh, of course for uh, North Korea is a major reversal, the major sort of uh, develop, negative development that mm. cause, uh, I mean, more concerns of its security. But all in all, I think we, that what is happening, all these are happening in the context where I think the United States is uh, mm. uh, pursuing a kind of so-called Indo-Pacific strategy. Mm. It is aimed at to pursue its relations against uh, 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 the major mm. major country sort of uh, competition uh, causing more problems. So the, we have a now totally different dynamic Indeed. Uh, compared to 2018, where I think uh, the relevant parties all 
agree or wanted to uh, try a, an approach that has been uh, through uh, to, to pursue, to get rid of the difference through talks, through negotiations. Mm. Now, Dr. Rongying, how do you evaluate the risks of this current round of tensions keep uh, keeping escalating? Yeah, I think the tension is really high because the uh, suspension or complete uh, sort of uh, uh, write-off of Bamuncho uh, declaration mm. uh, opened up a possibility or danger of more uh, tensions. And uh, remember, these are the major sort of uh, agreements related to the military uh, confidence building uh, uh, areas. Right. And uh, I can and and to aggregate the uh, the uh, the to complicate the situation. I think we are, uh, mm-hmm. there have been news that I think United States and South Korea are going to conduct joint military exercises, mm-hmm. and also they'll bring uh, the uh, Japan. So trilateral military exercises can also be uh, taken. Happen, mm. and uh, the United States also, I think, reported will bring more strategic assets like nuclear submarines and also aircraft carriers, bombers, others. That could uh, would certainly, I think, raise more concerns, mm. more sense of insecurity from South North Korea, and uh, which I think definitely they would have would respond. Mm. So we are going we are going to have a new round of tension rising tension mm-hmm. and the situation on the peninsula is going to get more tense mm-hmm. more i think uh, 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 escalation before it's getting better mm. well china has called for calm and restraint uh, dr rongying so to de-escalate the tensions uh what needs to be done by both sides what about neighboring countries and related stakeholders like you said uh, united states I think China, as a close neighbor and as a, a party of the six-party talk, has always called upon constraints, I mean, restraints, calms, and uh, responsible sort of uh, moves in terms of uh, security situation, mm. uh, managing or responding situation on the peninsula. China has always called upon uh, to continuously pursue a political settlement on the question of North uh, of Korea, mm-hmm. and more importantly, I think through talks and the negotiations, and the China, on the question of uh, the uh, East nuclear and uh, missile issues, I think China has always called upon, which I think, and also being the the uh, so far most uh, practical way that the so-called upholding the uh, dual mm-hmm. approach right. and. Uh, the principles of uh, uh, synchronized but and but face uh, uh, and, and act for act work for word that that uh, uh, principles mm-hmm. and all these principles all these approaches I think at this moment is most important. But the the the, the most practical thing so far is of course the relevant parties. Uh, the two Koreans, the United mm. States in particular, mm. have to exercise the restraints, have to exercise uh, res- in a responsible way so that this part of the world will not have tensions and problems. We have enough troubles. Indeed. We have troubles in Ukraine. We have conflict in the mi- Middle East. I think the least thing we have on have for all the parties, um, the two Koreans, the United States, Japan, and others, is mm. another conflict in this part of the world. Mm. This is the responsibility, and we have to really work hard on that. That was Rongying, Vice President and Senior Research Fellow at the China Institute of International Studies. More to come. French Foreign Minister is on a visit in Beijing, and far-right populist Wilders books majority in Dutch election. You're listening to World Today. For further discussions, follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. We'll be right back after a short break.
I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. French Minister for Europe and Foreign Affairs Catherine Colonna is visiting China Thursday and Friday. This is Colonna's first visit to China since she took office in May 2022. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is co-hosting the sixth meeting of the China-France High-Level Dialogue on People-to-People Exchanges with Colonna. Announcing the visit earlier, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning said that China hopes to have in-depth discussions with France on cooperation in education, culture, science, technology, health, and more. Now, for more on this topic, we're joined by Dr. Cui Hongjian. He is professor with Academy of Regional and Global Governance at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you, Dr. Cui, for joining us. It's good to have you back on the show. Hi. Dr. Cui, so what are the main areas in cultural and people-to-people exchanges that China and France are currently working with each other on? Actually, there are both the representatives for you know two greater uh, civilizations. I mean, the Chinese uh, mm-hmm. culture and also French culture and the European culture. We do have some, you know, I mean, a lot of areas for exchange. Uh, uh, education and the technology and the culture and some other. Uh, also, you know, both China and France they take the value of this uh, exchange of culture and especially the dialogue between uh, different civilizations. Uh, in the past decades, this, um, those two countries uh, established some government to government, I mean, mechanism mm. to help the exchange between two cultures. Uh, every year, uh, they have this uh, dialogue uh, in the frame of uh, people-to-people contact. And also, besides this uh, government-to-government exchange, certainly in several uh, fields, including education, technology, and uh, uh, artist, art or some other, they do have a lot of exchange. Of course, mm. maybe more important thing for uh, ordinary people in those two countries, a uh, very important part of the uh, people-to-people contact is uh, tourism. Mm. As we know, in the past decade, uh, France become a major destination for Chinese tourists. Uh, even now, as we know, after the COVID-19, I think mm. that now it's a good time for both China and France to push forward this uh, people-to-people contact. Mm. And uh, hopefully there will be some more tourists from uh, both two countries mm. to go to each other and to find out some more uh, interesting place and also especially the part of uh, daily life for the people. Indeed. Now, uh, Dr. Cui, overall, how do you evaluate the level of China-France relations at the moment? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, uh, uh, the relations between China and France is very comprehensive and also uh, to uh, touch the, almost every part of the uh, uh, countries and also areas, including uh, economy, uh, political, and also uh, people to people. Also, you know, both China and France, they are uh, major players in the international arena. Mm-hmm. So very uh, high-level exchange between leaders and also between governments, very important to play a leading role. Uh, in these relations. And also, at the same time, uh, economic and trade cooperation also provide a very big dynamic for these relations. Especially recent years, uh, there are uh, more investment from uh, France to go to China, and certainly now uh, France become a very important destination of investment from China. At the same time, as we mentioned before, it's a people-to-people contact. They do have a uh, all around exchange. So now, uh, for these um, relations, uh, we can find out the, uh, uh, there are more or higher expectation from both two sides. Mm. Try to have some more common interests 
and to stabilize and even develop and more uh, cooperative areas. Mm. Dr. Sui, let's take a look at a statement from uh, the French Ministry of Europe and Foreign Affairs uh, from their website. Uh, it said this, here I quote, The minister will also speak to her counterpart about all aspects of the bilateral relationship, global challenges, in particular in the run-up to COP28 and major international crises. Um, Dr. Sui, what are the mutual interests of China and France in converting climate change? The climate change issue is a most remarkable area for both China and France to get some more cooperation. As you know, both countries uh, have the, uh, the major goals for uh, further development I and mean, in the green uh, transformation. And both countries try to develop more on green economy, especially from a, a French side. Uh, President Macron uh, used to uh, take the climate change issue as a very, very important issue to help uh, France to play a leading role mm. in the international affairs. And of course, on um, this regard, both China and France, they do have some more common interests to help the uh, you know, international efforts to uh, you know, deal with any kind of challenges from the climate change issue. Mm. As we know, the uh, COP28 is coming. Mm. I think it's a very important time for China and France to coordinate on this issue and to find out more common ground and then to help the international community to uh, get some more, uh, I mean, uh, common efforts to deal with any challenges from a climate change issue. Mm. Dr. Tsui, uh, what about uh, the ongoing Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Uh, do China and France hold similar uh, positions on this issue? Exactly. As we know, both China and France, they are the uh, member of the uh, permanent uh, of the Security Council in uh, the United Nations. So besides the bilateral relations, both countries shoulder very specific responsibilities to help the regional stability, and try to find out a more political settlement for any kind of uh, conflicts. Uh, regarding to this um, uh, ongoing Palestinian-Israeli conflict, mm. I think uh, China and France they are trying to uh, find some more common ground, especially how to help uh, the uh, countries to stop any you know, uh, violence on the international law, especially humanitarian law, and anyway, and of, of course at the same time, to help uh, uh, every part to find out the, uh, uh, the final political settlement. Mm. As we know, the Middle Eastern region is near to uh, the, uh, Europe, and also, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the escalation of the conflict certainly will have some uh, negative impact on French uh, domestic politics. Right. So I think there will be a big concern from French side. And also, I think uh, both two countries will find some more common grounds on this issue. Mm. One more question, Dr. Tsui. Paris is ho uh, hosting the Summer Olympics uh, next year. What more cultural and sports events do you expect will be held between China and France? As we know, you know next year, I mean, uh, 2024, is a, a big year for mm. this relations between China and France. Not only both countries will uh, celebrate their 16th anniversary for the establishment of uh, diplomatic relations between two countries, and also next year will be the Olympic Games in Paris. Mm. So I think this uh, uh, sport cultural ex exchange would be a very, very important part for both countries try to, uh, you know, push forward their relations and try and find out a more comprehensive and also stable uh, basis for, for these relations. Mm. So I believe that uh, not only Olympic Games and also some other cultural uh, issues or exchanges will become a very, very important part for these relations and will be helpful for both two peoples to have some more mutual understanding and then to find out uh, more uh, cooperation in the future. Mm. 
Thank you. That was Dr. Cui Hongjian, professor with Academy of Regional and Global Governance, Beijing Foreign Studies University. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard, economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. An exit poll in the Netherlands parliamentary election shows that far-right and anti-Islam populist Gert Wilders is headed for a landslide victory. Wilders' party for freedom won 35 seats in the 150-seat lower house of parliament, more than double the 17 he won at the last election. He has vowed to halt all immigration and called on other parties to constructively engage in coalition talks. The official results of the 2023 Dutch parliamentary elections are expected to be announced on December the first. Now, for more, we're joined by Dr. Wang Yiwei. He is Zhang Menet Chair Professor at Renmin University of China. Thank you, Professor Wang. It's good to have you back on the show. Thank you for the invitation. Now, Professor Wang, in general, what's your biggest takeaway from the results of the Netherlands parliamentary election this year? Well, the people said that the so-called the Dutch uh, Trump will be uh, take the office. Mm. That's the character Biden's, which is very similar to, to uh, Trump. Actually, it's not like loose, like very style with the hair. And, uh, basically, it's the so-called uh, the Netherlands first uh, anti-migration, uh, really mm. uh, anti-Islam, and also anti-European Union. Mm. Even the poor football, so-called Nazi. Uh, Like a Brexit, so the, of course this is、uh, the slogan of、uh, the campaign. But when he take power, whether it's、uh, possible or not, but it's still a question. But it makes every other countries, European unions, very nervous about the Dutch election.、Mm. Now, Professor Wang, we already know that Gert Wilders is a far-right populist, but、uh, who is he really, and what about his party, Party for Freedom? Well, firstly, so-called the Party for Freedom. Freedom for, from whom? From、uh, the European Union. European Union, you know,、uh, pressure the sovereignty transfer to Brussels.、Uh, that's the reason of the Brexit happens, right? The, the British they want to take a, away uh, uh, back of the power, particularly for the migrants,、uh, as the single、uh, uh, country of the Netherlands suffers most from the Islam.、Uh, Migrations,、mm. so they're very anti-Islam, anti-migrations.、Uh, they keep the purity of the, the Dutch people, and secondly, also、um, the anti, we say,、uh, say not not the European Union, but also、uh, Islam and the、uh, and the, the migrations, migrations because of the this、uh, get to the very hypocritical of the Europeans' democracy,、mm. uh, which on the base of the French, you know, revolution of the liberty, equality, fraternité. But now it's freedom. It's not that meaning. So they are not really、uh, want to freedom. They only want freedom of the original European white people.、Mm. Now, apart from、uh, immigration, Professor Wang, what are some other issues of contention in the Dutch election? Well, because of the next uh, uh, June, they'll have、mm. the European Parliament election.、Uh, so the Uh, member states election, so you know the Netherlands is a founder of、uh, the European Union, so it's、uh, very also uh, maybe uh, influence other countries' elections. Next、uh, year, there 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 other、uh, member states will have election,、uh, and then they're very worried about this wave of the right wing and the so-called populist. So、uh, we have the into、uh, into it. Actually, Polish.、Uh, uh, Professor Wang, how do you explain the rise of right-wing populism in Dutch politics in the past few years? Then, I think the reasons is because of the comparative advantage of the Europeans actually relatively declining.、Uh, the before、uh, the Europeans think about、uh, globalization uh, is uh, to promote、uh, the Europeans' norms. So the benefit from the uh, uh, external market, 
uh, including uh, population uh, migrations from abroad. But now there are more hate, there are more, uh, you know, uh, blend than uh, the globalization blend uh, the migrants mm. uh, because of the environment degradation, because of the the living standards it was uh, diluted by so many uh, migrations, and it's really from Islam, you know, some some refugees from the north North Africa and the Middle East, and also uh, that the very conservative now is not just a uh, subconfidence about the future. So they want defense, uh, they want to take power uh, back from Brussels. So European Union is not so attractive to the member states, to the people. So mm. that's the serious problem how do you, how do you think uh the right the rise of right-wing populism in dutch politics is related to the ongoing conflict between russia and ukraine and what's their attitude towards the war yes uh, the, this is a uh, ukraine crisis of course the new cast the shadow of the election uh, in poland in uh, the netherlands mm. uh, there are many migrations from poland uh, from from ukraine uh, but the people accept, but the, the migrations from the Middle East, from the North Americans, uh, North Africa, sorry, uh, they are mm. not accept. So this is double standard, including the, uh, the Palestine conflict with Israel, uh, the, which uh, the Europeans actually they show, as I said, a hypocritical position towards that. So make the, uh, the traditional so-called political correctness not mm. worse. So that's the populist the, you know, leaders, you know, directly, openly, uh, to say something like the Dutch first and the anti-Islam, uh, anti-migration, even uh, so-called next Brexit, uh, mm. Brexit. Right. So this is uh, happening in other European Union countries as well. Mm. Then, Professor, how do you think the Dutch election results will influence uh, other EU countries? Uh, it's, it's indeed uh, very worried about the, mm. the, the, the situation maybe in the next June uh, of the parliament election. Well, will impact on the structure of the European Parliament, and also after the election, they choose the Euro- European Commission leader and the European Council leader. So, and then uh, the traditional, the mainstream of the parties not uh, cannot keep the mainstream ideology for the Europeans. Only those uh, extremists, okay, the populists, the nationalists, the rising. This is a cause that's very uh, dangerous to the traditional uh, values and ideology for the European parties. Mm. Well, thank you, Professor. That was Dr. Wang Yiwei, Rangmana Chair Professor at Renmin University of China. This is World Today. Stay with us. As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. The United Nations General Assembly has voted overwhelmingly to adopt a historic tax plan despite resistance from wealthy countries like the United States and Britain, as well as entire European Union. It starts an intergovernmental process to negotiate a new UN tax convention that could drastically change the setting of global tax rules. Tabled by African states, the unprecedented resolution is the latest development in a heated debate over whether the UN can deliver better representation on international tax matters for developing countries than the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The latter is a group made up of 38 mostly high-income countries. For more on this historic tax resolution, my colleague Ge Anna earlier spoke with Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Professor, the resolution marks a historic shift in global tax rules, moving decision-making from the OECD to the UN. So how do you perceive the significance of this change, especially considering the decades-long dominance of the OECD in this domain? Well, such a shift reflects the reality of the world development in a more globalized and digitized world, and there needs to be 
uh, more effective measures that can be deployed uh, to serve the interest of uh, all the members of the United Nations because OECD is really a collection of those rich countries. And uh, as a matter of fact, from the fact that in 2011, the United Nations produced the uh, Model Taxation Convention in which it states very clearly that uh, uh, much of the focus is really to facilitate the flow of uh, direct investment to those developing countries because the uh, entire focus of the United Nations is really to support the realization of the sustainable development agenda and without the voice and without the uh, right concern for the developing countries, this uh, agenda won't really be fulfilled. So such a shift uh, also shows the rising voice and the rising interest representation within the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, many reports highlight the victory of Global South countries in establishing a more inclusive process at the UN. But can you discuss the key reasons behind their push for a greater UN role? Why have developing nations expressed frustration with the current global tax negotiations coordinated by the OECD? Well, there are three dimensions that present the major obstacles. One, of course, is really the coordination between different countries uh, because uh, every country uh, prioritizes their own national interest. So to really to solicit more of the global investment in their own country is something that is a strong motivation. So this may actually produce uh, the preferential policies in unfair competition with other countries. And uh, second, it's the governance of some of the uh, countries that uh, deal with the tax evasion, tax uh, avoidance, and uh, even involving corruption and money laundry. So the third is that uh, how uh, globally they can really coordinate uh, both for the uh, successful expansion of uh, tax base, uh, particularly within the developing countries, and also how they can really deregulate a more transparent and uh, accountable environment in which the business community can really have a fair play. Because right now, there are many ways for the business community, particularly for multinationals, to seek tax havens in order to enrich their own stockholders uh, in, instead of uh, the wi wide variety of those stakeholders. Professor, about the voting pattern, some say you reveals a divide with the developed countries, including the European Union, the U.S., and others voting against the resolution. How do you interpret this division, and what impact might it have on the future landscape of international tax policies? Well, high-income countries uh, they apparently have a more transparent and accountable legal environment. However, they also have their priority of their own national interest, and the politics in these high-income countries are highly related with the support of multinationals because uh, they are the host of uh, more multinational companies they, as compared with those developing countries. So to retain the tax base and also to encourage the uh, multinationals to draw uh, their revenue from all the world about paying more tax to their own country is really on the agenda of uh, the government coffer plans. So right now, the developing countries are also there to uh, raise their voice to support, to solicit more of the focus to support their own de development agenda. But right now, in terms of the regulation and the legal construct, uh, there are many different views in terms of diversity versus uh, the consolidarity. And even among those developing countries, there are also very different views and those countries who are more prone to uh, opening to foreign investment are eager to really to uh, build a more 
uh, enabling environment for global investment and those who are lack of resources and lack of the incentive to, uh, to solicit the foreign investment and promote trade on a lackluster side. Even though the resolution has received widespread support, given what has been discussed, what challenges might arise in the process of implementing this convention? Oh, I think one key phrase is really beggar the neighbor, because uh, many countries see this as a zero-sum game. And when I get more of the tax revenue, and I will be uh, better off. And the other uh, is really the interest groups, because even within certain countries, uh, there is a a wide wealth gap, and those uh, rich and high-income individuals would really defend their own comfortable zone, which really uh, creates even wider divide among the rich and the poor. There are also uh, tax havens that are still rather active to attract more of the global investment and simply as a sort of transitional hub there to give uh, more of the confrontational policies to those uh, companies or funds who register over there, and they provide the tax haven. So in a nutshell, really to create a more fair and equitable environment on global uh, basis, uh, this needs to address the interest groups on a modest stakeholder basis. So this is really a very challenging task. Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.